welcome to today's interview. Uh, my name is Glenn Diesen. I'm a professor at the University of Southeastern Norway. And the guest today, uh, by popular demand, is uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Uh, welcome. Thank you. So, um, well, with your extensive military background, you know, in terms of leading armies or uh, war planning or even publications of your books on war strategy, you know, this made you a very important, uh, critical source of analysis to understand what's happening on the ground. Uh, but I thought before we get into the developments in the Ukrainian war, I wanted to ask you about you know, what's happening in the United States and behind the scenes in Washington, uh, as you're also a good, very good source of this, because I read your article, uh, The Gathering Storm in the American Conservative, which is a great publication, by the way. Uh, and in this, you refer to a crisis in American power. I was wondering if you could uh, explain what this uh, crisis is. Well, it's an important uh, question, and it deserves a good answer. The problem we've had historically, certainly since the end of the Second World War, is the widespread illusion that our power was limitless, whether it was economic, military, or political influence. America's reach uh, was unending. This, of course, was never true. Uh, at the end of the Second World War, we were really the, the last man standing. Virtually everyone else who had been in the war was severely damaged. And that put us considerably ahead of everyone else. But most Americans don't think in those terms. They si simply see this uh, great colossus bestriding the world. The truth is that we're discovering the limits of our capabilities, our resources, and most important, our financial limits. We have this terrible sovereign national debt which for years people have insisted was meaningless. Oh, debt doesn't matter anymore, was one of the favorite phrases. But it's beginning to matter, as it has for 5,000 years. And we face a very difficult situation now, not just uh, with debt, but also the, the interest rate problem in our efforts to fight inflation. And the higher the interest rates go, the less and less our bonds are worth. And the more money we print, the more we debase our currency. So we're reaching a, a serious crisis in the financial and economic sense. And in contrast to the distant past, uh, the 1930s, when we came out of the Depression, where we had an enormous scientific industrial base and we could rapidly employ millions of people waiting for jobs, that doesn't exist in the United States as it once did. We've obviously shipped most of our industry out of the country, primarily to China and Mexico, other places. So it's not as though we can rapidly repatriate and put everybody back to work. And then, of course, we have the open borders crisis and the collapse of the rule of law in many of our major cities. Criminality is out of control. And every time someone attempts to enforce the law, it is the police that we uh, attack, uh, not the criminals who are responsible for most of the damage. So you, you have to view all of those things as the background uh, or a backdrop behind the conduct of what's happening in Ukraine. And inside Ukraine, we continue to shovel whatever we can in their direction, but it's quite clear that we've largely exhausted our war stocks. We don't have a great deal more to send in addition to what we've already sent. We can send some new weapons, but again, the numbers of new weapons with new kinds of missiles or rockets are, are very limited. We don't have huge stocks to back them up. And we now are beginning to get some truth through the American media. Even in the New York Times and the Washington Post, the word is creeping in that the Ukrainians have taken horrific losses. You see all sorts of estimates. 
Now in the West, uh, people are saying, well, yes, they've had at least 100,000 dead. But truthfully, it's probably closer to 250,000 dead. And we just don't know, but we're beginning to see a lot of evidence that the losses on the Ukrainian side are far, far larger than anything we anticipated. At the same time, we've insisted repeatedly that the Russians were losing, that the Russians were incompetent, that they were stupid, they couldn't do anything. And, in, and still in many newspapers and outlets, you hear this business of, well, the Russians are stuck. There's not much more they can do. That too is beginning to break down. People are figuring out the integrated air defenses are exceptionally effective. Hundreds of aircraft have been shot down, 402 fixed-wing aircraft, 256 helicopters, Ukrainian aircraft, that is. So the notion that you're going to send a few F-16s, train a few pilots, isn't going to make any difference to where things are headed. And the Russian military establishment is now larger and more powerful and capable than it has been certainly in 30 years. So all of the stated goals and objectives harm Russia, degrade Russia, weaken Russia. All of this has kind of gone by the wayside. And then to cap it off, we have the visit of the Chinese premier to Moscow. And it's very obvious now that the Chinese have cast their lot with the Russians because thanks to all of our belligerent statements and activities in Asia, the Chinese have concluded that they're next on the menu. Under the circumstances, you might as well support the Russians. But we also misinterpret what the Chinese are trying to achieve. We don't seem to understand that what the Chinese want to achieve is this one belt, one road. In other words, they want to build rail lines. They want to move commerce and trade back and forth across Central Asia, through Ukraine, through white Russia, into Europe. And the Europeans, of course, ultimately want to trade with China. The only way to do that is to end the war in Ukraine. And the Chinese are very interested in doing that. And that's one of the reasons they came to meet as well with President Putin. And before the Chinese have managed to do very much, we are instantly refusing any offer that might be on the table for an end to this conflict. And I think at the same time inside of Europe, certainly in Germany, and I think to a large extent now France and, and other countries, people are beginning to say, wait a minute, how long does this take? How many more people have to die? What do we do with an, a, a size, a, a state the size of Ukraine that is virtually destroyed? How do we handle it? How do we rebuild it? How do we repatriate millions of people that have left the country? All of these things are coming together, and that is your, your gathering storm, if you will. And at some point, the storm is going to break out. And I don't think we're going to withstand it very well in the United States because of our own problems.